Well, the, I think the most powerful sermon I ever heard was not in a church, but was uh, in a car, um, a recording uh, of a man called Frank Retief, who was a vicar and is now, uh, I think, a bishop uh, in the church in South Africa. And he was recalling the night of the 25th of July, 1993. Apparently it was a wet and stormy night, and the church, St. James's Church in Kenilworth in Cape Town, were meeting for their evening service, much like we are here, except there were rather more of them. I think um, some 12 or 1,300 people gathered together. And um, what was happening at the time was two of the teenagers uh, were, were singing a, a, a hymn to the congregation when all of a sudden, through one of the doors, in burst three gunmen uh, carrying machine guns. And they just began uh, randomly uh, spraying the people gathered in that church with bullets. They had um, two or three grenades with them as well that they threw. Uh, strapped to those were um, pots full of nails to cause maximum damage. And that night, 11 people died and 57 were, were wounded, some horrifically. One, one man lost uh, both legs and an arm. And uh, one man in the church uh, that evening was a guy called Darvi. He'd sat in his uh, usual place in the church next to his wife but then moved towards the front. He'd seen a group of Russians whom he, he knew well because he, he ran a mission at the um, port in Cape Town, uh, reaching out to Russian and Ukrainian sailors as they passed through Cape Town port. And um, he'd welcomed them into the church and uh, lot, quite a number of them, I believe, had become Christians through his witness and his opening of uh, the Bible to them. And so Darvi sat away from his wife uh, up next to the Russians near the front. Uh, and sadly, as the gunman um, burst in, his wife was one of the first who was uh, hit by bullets, two or three, I think. And um, in all the confusion that followed um, as the gunman left, Darvi found his wife. Uh, he saw her sitting up at first, thought she was fine, um, but realized she wasn't. So he rushed her to hospital. Um, but within 30 minutes, she had died. Um, Darby then returned to the church to find his children who were in the church. Uh, there were three of them and, and they were alive. But as he was, as he was with them, um, the press had, uh, heard something of what had happened, um, an hour or two early and they'd arrived at the church and someone stuck a, a video camera in his face and a microphone and they said to him, you know, how do you feel? How does this make you feel? And he said, um, he said this, I don't know who you are or why you've done what you've done. But I ask that you repent of your sin. And because I'm a Christian, I can tell you that I forgive you for what you've done to my family by taking away my wife. And, and I heard that, uh, I heard that being preached and I was absolutely stunned, um, being married myself and having, having, uh, one child at the moment that a man could forgive someone who had done that, who had destroyed his family. And it didn't even take years that, uh, Within a few hours, this man um, was saying that he forgave the gunman. It was stunning. And um, I venture that if we're, if we're stunned, if we're amazed by the forgiveness one man can show another man, then even more so, how much more must that be magnified in thinking about God's forgiveness of us? And um, you've got a rough kind of handout uh, in your news sheets. And forgive me, I'm going to slightly play a bit fast and loose with that. I've added actually one further point, but they're all 
quite short, so uh, do bear with me. We're not going to be here for hours. But the first point this evening is this. Uh, what is forgiveness? And forgive a slightly frivolous example, but imagine if you bought some new shoes that you're, you're pretty happy with. Um, I don't really know what girls go for. You know, something sparkly and nice. I don't, I don't really understand these things, um, as you can probably tell. Um, but you've got these lovely new shoes you're very, very proud of. And uh, you notice your friend has been slightly eyeing them up, a bit enviously, and uh, comes up to you and says, do you mind if I borrow your, your shoes? I've got this thing on uh, this weekend. I'd love to wear them. And um, in a kind of uncharacteristic moment of generosity, you say, yeah, why not? Okay, borrow them. What you don't know is that your friend actually is going off to Glastonbury that weekend. And uh, what always happens at Glastonbury is the heavens open and the lovely uh, fields that are dry for kind of 11 and a half months of the year turn into a quagmire. And your friend's happily wearing your brand new shoes and they come completely stained and uh, mud splattered and spoiled. And the weekend uh, comes to an end and your friend comes back to you and they she kind of, or he sheepishly presents you with these shoes and they're obviously ruined. And you've got a choice to make, haven't you? Either you're going to say to your friend, what on earth have you done? You, you, you know, you're going to have to sort this out. Or you can forgive them. You can forgive them. You can absolve them of the responsibility to make that situation right, to fulfill their debt. And you can bear the cost of that yourself. It's just the picture Jesus gives us in that parable of the unmerciful servant we had read. There is a debt to be paid. But I think if we're thinking about lives, our lives and, you know, debts people have to us and uh, troubles we have, we've been caused. Most of the wrongs can't be assessed in terms of economic uh, sense only, can they? Normally we're robbed of something else, of um, some kind of happiness, maybe, reputation. Perhaps we're robbed of an opportunity or even a freedom. We can't put a price on that. And yet there's a nagging sense that, you know, even if someone does say, oh, well, I'm sorry about that, we feel that 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 doesn't quite deal with the problem. When we're seriously wrong, we have a deep sense that that person who's done that wrong to us needs to deal with it, or we need to deal with it. It can't be dismissed. So the first option is this, you make that person suffer. If they can't, you know, buy you new shoes, you make them suffer, you know. You start telling their friends, well, can you believe this person, you know. I lent them my new shoes and this is how they repay me. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Perhaps if it's something rather more serious, you you cut off ties with that person. You say, well, look, if you're going to treat me like this, then I've had enough of it. Perhaps you just passively or actively, you know, wish that some harm would come to them so they can get a sense of the pain that you felt in some way. You might want to confront them to say, look, do you understand quite what you've done to me? How much you've hurt me? Do you understand that? And you might get some kind of sense of uh, satisfaction from that, I suppose, uh, of making them... Uh, realize a little bit of the suffering that you've had to go through as a result of what they've done. But probably uh, more likely is that um, that kind of uh, evil and um, hurt that you you feel is just going to fester and grow and cause even more damage. 
And so there's the other option, which is forgiveness. And forgiveness is refusing to let that person pay for what they've done, for the hurt they've caused. It's absorbing that debt yourself. Take it on completely. And um, someone sent me uh, a useful email as I was um, preparing this, uh, linking to li- linking to an article, um, which is kind of what the world says about forgiveness. Um, and what is often preached in churches is that if you forgive people, you'll feel much better. And I think the truth is that you, that's not necessarily true. I think sometimes you will feel better, but it doesn't necessarily follow because it's going to be painful sometimes. That debt is going to be hugely hard to assume yourself. But um, one of the most beautiful uh, examples, I think, of forgiveness was Nelson Mandela. He spent 27 years in that prison on Robben Island. And um, he said afterwards, as I walked out of the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. He knew he had to forgive people for what had been done, what they had done to him. And that was evidenced, I think, by the fact he invited several of his prison guards to his presidential inauguration. And indeed, um, the, the barrister um, at his trial who uh, was prosecuting him, he invited to um, an anniversary party celebrating his release from prison. Well, secondly, uh, then, why do we need forgiveness? And I'd venture that uh, we don't need forgiveness from God, primarily because we feel bad. And um, if, we, uh, if we sin, I think we often do feel very bad. King David in the Bible said that um, when I stayed silent about this uh, wickedness I'd done, my bones wasted away, he said, because I was groaning all day long. For day and night, he said, he felt God's hand heavy on him. My strength was sapped as if in the heat of summer. Forgiveness is so much more than having our consciences cleansed. It's having the debt paid and a relationship with God restored. We can't do that on our own. We can't work our way um, into God's good books. We can't butter him up. We can't tell him we'll be better next time. or We'll try harder. We have to throw ourselves on his mercy to seek his forgiveness, accept him uh, taking that debt upon himself, upon Jesus uh, dying on the cross. And I've just got a question here, for, particularly for the regulars. Um, as we do look forward to the mission, and it's rightly mentioned kind of every, uh, every pretty much every Sunday at the moment, um, why do you want to invite anyone along? Why do you want to invite anyone to one of the mission events or talks next year? What do you want them to hear? That's my question for you. What do you want them to hear? And my slight fear is that when we uh, start talking about um, repentance and forgiveness, we can feel slightly uneasy because it's much easier to talk about Jesus uh, being loving and God being gracious. And of course, um, those things those things are totally true. Um, the problem of talking about forgiveness is that we can't pretend everything's okay. 
We can't be ambiguous about this because we have to say that actually, if you're not on God's side, the Bible says that you're God's enemy. It's as, it's as black as white, black and white as that. It's, it's pretty startling language. It's the most serious but important news that us Christians have for people. And it was the message that the apostles preached, wasn't it? Repetitively, from the first Pentecost. uh, Repent and be baptised, Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. One great Christian writer says this, if either the need to repent of sins or the need to trust in Christ for forgiveness is neglected, then there is not a full and true proclamation of the gospel. So let's pray that that's what we'll have uh, next year. If you don't believe me, uh, then what about uh, what Jesus said? Um, You'll probably know the story of the paralyzed man, and I think it's one of the most surprising stories in the Bible. We, we, unfortunately, we tend to turn it into a bit of a Sunday school story about, you know, a man who couldn't walk being healed, and it's great. Do you remember the story? Um, there is a man who can't walk, and he has faithful friends who think, I know, I know who can sort this out for you. There's a man, Jesus. I'm gonna, we're gonna take you to him. So they take him along on his mat, but the, they can't get through to Jesus because the house where he is is so full of people. So uh, they decide uh, to be inventive. They walk up the steps outside the house onto the roof and pull apart a hole in the roof so they can lower their friend down to Jesus' feet. And what are the first words Jesus says to that man, that lame man lying in front of him, unable to do anything for himself? Son, your sins are forgiven. Hang on a minute, Jesus, this man cannot walk. Can't you see what his problem is? That's what people would have thought, wouldn't they? Those who weren't thinking, who's this man who says he can forgive sins? He's got a huge problem. His legs don't work. And Jesus was the most loving and compassionate man who ever lived. And he said, yeah, but he's got a bigger problem, a more pressing need. He needs his sin dealt with. He needs to be forgiven. And the Bible tells us, I think, time and time again, that that's that's our situation. The same for every one of us, every person who's ever lived, that we've ignored God. We've ignored what he wants. We've decided that we're going to please ourselves. We're going to uh, do what we think is best with our time, with our bodies, with our relationships, with our lifestyles, with our, with our dreams and ambitions for the future. But the Bible says that uh, we need forgiveness. We need forgiveness because we've sinned against a holy God. We've broken his holy law and we've severed that relationship with God as our father. The prophet Isaiah wrote, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us, each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's the key. We are offered forgiveness. And that's our third point. Uh, forgiveness, the cost of forgiveness. That man, um, Darvi, Darvi Ackerman, who lost his wife in that shooting in South Africa, he knew something of the cost of forgiveness. Um, he believed, he, he said afterwards, that by not um, seeking retribution from those gunmen, 
um, that in some ways his his children uh, bore the brunt of um, anger which was unjustified against them. He said that he could understand um, people who had very, very black thoughts and uh, contemplated suicide. But Darvi Ackerman had chosen to absorb the cost of that forgiveness himself, to pay the debt himself for the wicked, murderous gunman. He forfeited his right to revenge and instead chose forgiveness. Well, he did it in a slightly imperfect way, but um, Jesus gives us the model of doing it perfectly. That verse in Ephesians says this, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And the language of redemption is the language of the slave market, of um, being bought being bought at a cost, paying a price to secure release. And the price, we're told in that verse, was the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross as he had nails uh, driven through his hands and his feet as blood flowed from him. That was the price that he paid, the cost that he bore. That's the cost of forgiveness for you and I. And if we take home nothing else from uh, this evening, I, I pray that we'll have a heightened sense of the the awfulness of sin and and a heightened appreciation of what an awesome saviour we had who was prepared to assume that cost for us. One of my top three songs is by the great Charles Wesley and just let me read a few words to you. It is finished, the Messiah dies, cut off for sins but not his own. Accomplished is the sacrifice. The great redeeming work is done. It is finished. All the debt is paid. Justice divine is satisfied. The grand and full atonement made. God, for a guilty world, has died. And that's why we, that's why we love Jesus, isn't it? If we're Christians. Because of what he did for us on the cross. Because he died in my place to to hold out the hope of forgiveness for me, of a relationship with God. That's grace, isn't it? That's what it says in our verse here. It's in accordance with the riches of his grace. It's not something we could pay for. It's not something we can work towards. It's all from God. So finally, as we draw to an end, how should we respond to God's forgiveness? And uh, I'm sure there are many ways I'm just going to perhaps highlight three little applications that might be helpful. The first is this, forgiveness needs to be accepted and the first step is repentance. It was Jesus' very first words when he started his ministry. We're told he said, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And if you're here this evening and you've never done that, can I urge you to do that even Tonight, I think there's going to be a chance for all of us to to respond to God's forgiveness after I finish speaking. But uh, perhaps you can feel um, a heaviness of heart, um, a guilt that you can't deal with, a burden that you know needs to be dealt with. Then why don't you come to Jesus because he holds his arms out ready to welcome you. The Bible says that he removes sin as far as the east is from the west. 
No one's done uh, too much wrong too many times or anything too bad that means they can't come to Jesus. Repent, come to him. Because what you need and what God's willing to and ready to give you is forgiveness. Secondly, uh, be a forgiveness channel and not a pond. Forgive a slightly cheesy analogy, um, but forgiveness mustn't stop with us. It needs to flow from us. It needs to flow through us. Not to be damned into some kind of stagnant uh, pool of grace that we, that we hold on to. If the first shock of that uh, parable we had from Matthew 18 um, was was the huge debt the servant had and how how gracious the the king was in um, forgiving him that debt, then the second is that the the servant doesn't pass on that forgiveness to his fellow servant who owns it, who owes him a tiny tiny fraction of the debt that he himself has been forgiven. Receiving God's forgiveness is supposed to transform us into people who who pass on that forgiveness to others. There was another man who uh, lost a wife um, in that same shooting, and he appeared at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa when actually um, the, the gunmen who perpetrated that massacre were released. And he said, I have to forgive you. I have to forgive you because Jesus has forgiven me. Paul said to the church in uh, Colossae, uh, yeah, um, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Through Jesus' death, we've, we've experienced the most incredible forgiveness. It would be ridiculous if we didn't pass that on. So be a channel and not a pond. And finally, um, Repentance and forgiveness as a lifestyle. Um, hopefully it's clear, but asking for repentance and, and forgiveness and indeed offering forgiveness to others isn't a one-off thing. You know, the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's what Peter didn't understand in his question to Jesus. How many times must I forgive my brother? And Jesus is saying that there's, there's no limit. It doesn't matter if they keep doing the same thing time and time again. If our patience has run out, don't you understand how much God has forgiven you? You've got to do the same thing. Well, I was convicted of it uh, this week as I thought about my prayer life and I thought, well, how much of my prayer time is spent asking for things? Asking for things uh, for myself, for my friends, for my family. And how little is asking for forgiveness? of uh, repenting of the many, many times this week when I've uh, used angry words, when I've lacked compassion for those around me, when I've been selfish and ungrateful. And finally, forgiveness is a daily thing we need to uh, do. It's, It's not just an optional extra. We have to do it. The Bible commands Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So we're to offer forgiveness, not just once, but repeatedly, time and time again, each and every day, as a lifestyle, to hold out the gospel to those who've wronged us, to show Jesus' love, to point them 
to the cross of Jesus, to the forgiveness that he offers them and to the new life that he wants to give them. Let's pray.